Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. This is Josh. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. Luca, how are you doing on this Buffalo Bills are in first place in the AFC <laughs> evening? I am doing fantastic. Talk about a weekend that just went perfectly right, finally. And, and I say finally, too, and we can dive into it later and stuff, but Josh... I do recall weeks past where it seemed like results weren't going the bills way. This seemed like that weekend where everything that possibly could go right did. And it was so much fun watching the entire time. Oh, thank you. I cannot believe in my life. I am saying this, but thank you, San Francisco. And most importantly, thank you, Cincinnati for doing what you did. And I cannot wait to have this nice little fun mini episode this week to discuss all these fun things and how we have gotten to this point. Now we're going into this jets game. The bills are back sitting atop the AFC. So Luca mentioned, it's going to be a mini episode. We'll add some context to that right now. If you are looking for a post game show on the bills, Patriots game from last Thursday, Luca and I did that on our built-in Buffalo live show because of the Thursday night football schedule. If you want to hear that with the game balls, game checks, all of that, anywhere your podcast can be fine, found on the built-in Buffalo podcast network. Look for the built-in Buffalo live show that was uploaded last Friday. What we are going to do tonight is an abbreviated show because nothing really has happened since that game. And because the bills now are back to playing on Sunday, they haven't even been on the practice field. So Outside of Odell Beckham coming to town and leaving town, heading to Dallas, that's about all that's changed since the last time we were on the air from the Bills' perspective. So what we are going to do tonight is we are just going to talk about what took place on Sunday to lead to the Bills being in first place in the AFC, in the driver's seat for the number one seed in the AFC, and then just how we're feeling. We're just going to have a quick conversation. We don't know how long it's going to go, probably not as long as usual, but let's get into it, Luca, because you mentioned it when I kicked it back to you that it felt like the Bills for weeks now just haven't gotten any help on the out-of-town scoreboard. And I'm thinking back to the Chiefs coming back and beating the Chargers on Sunday Night Football or the game that Malik Willis started for the Titans and the Titans still found a way to get them into overtime, but the Chiefs still won. Or Hunter Renfro and Devontae Adams running into each other on a route that ended up costing the Raiders a game in Arrowhead. And then you can think about close games the Dolphins played against the Lions and the Bears. So many instances where the Bills, who were going through their struggles, we, we all know what was going on. The laundry list of injuries, the situation going on with Josh Allen's elbow, the snowstorm that caused them to play three road games in a row. They lost a home game. Everything there, the short week, the three games in, I believe, 16 days is what it was. The Everything that went into that, and the Bills just weren't getting any help on the out-of-town scoreboard. And I will tell you, Luca, there was a point today where it felt like everything was going to go wrong again. And it was at the very end of the Jets-Vikings game. The Jets are driving down, and it looks like they're going to take the lead on the Vikings. And I, I'm scrolling through Twitter because I, I haven't flipped over to the Dolphins in um, Niners game yet. And I see, as the Jets are driving, Jimmy Garoppolo is hurt. And I'm thinking, here we go again. The Jets are about to steal a game from the Vikings. And now the Dolphins are going to get a free win against whoever the Niners backup quarterback is. At that point, I hadn't even ever heard of Brock Purdy. I'm going to be honest with you all. And then I'm like, well, the only thing that's going to save today is if somehow the Bengals can beat the Chiefs. Boy, was I wrong, Luca. The, the Bengals did defeat the Chiefs. Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers put it on the Dolphins and the Jets were unable to score, and the Vikings beat them. Which one of those three games, and I will allow you to factor in the Jimmy Garoppolo injury, which one of those three results surprised you the most? The Niners one is definitely probably the top surprise for me. Um, I will say I have heard of Brock Purdy going into this. It didn't make me feel any more confident, I will tell you that. The only reason I have heard of him is somehow I found myself betting a lot of Iowa State football uh, while he was there. Don't ask why. It's also why I was very familiar with Brees Hall. So um, what I will say is when he's coming in and I'm like, okay, he's Mr. Irrelevant. You're drafted as Mr. Irrelevant for a good reason, probably. You were basically a borderline undrafted free agent and a team was just like, hey, 
this is maybe someone we would prioritize as an undrafted free agent. So we're just going to use that last pick in that seventh round to just solidify his rights. Um, it, it was incredible to see though, that game where I even, I, I think I said this out in my living room. I was like, this game at that point was 17, 10, I believe at that. Yeah. I think I, I think it was 17, 10 when I made this comment and I'm like, it's a close game and you're still anxious. And yet when you realize how the game has gotten to this point where the Niners had had two long drives that got into the Dolphins uh, defensive red zone, and then they were able to finish with touchdowns in those instances. And the Dolphins only touchdown came on the opening play of the game where Trent Sherfield is just open in the seam and just maneuvers his way all the way down the field for that opening score. That's it. So in a weird way, when I all of a sudden wrapped my head around that, I'm like, Maybe the Bryce Purdy can still operate this Niners offense. Maybe the Niners can still get by with this guy under center and get a result for us. And the bottom line is, boy, ever, boy, did he ever do that for us? Like, it was just like, wow, this Niners team has the Dolphins figured out start to finish beyond a broken Tyreek touchdown, that Trent Sherfield opening score. I mean, the Dolphins had nothing, it seemed like, offensively, and they weren't getting the bounces either. Um, it was just like, yeah, the, the Niners poured it on them, on them late to even separate the score more than it probably should have been, but it was awesome. That was the most surprising for sure. Um, but I will say the jets keeping it as close as it is, in my opinion, was a little surprising. It just allows me to respect the jets a little bit. And yet the result in the end, not overly surprised. I just thought Mike white at Minnesota, it would just be too tough an environment he put on a good show late. It seemed like he was going to be able to make it happen. Um, just fortunately for us and unfortunately for them. Um, is it Braxton Berrios? I always forget. Uh, who yeah. Is. Braxton drops, Berrios the ball. drops the ball. Maybe it's uh, <laughs> I read somewhere online that it's a conspiracy that because he's so tight with Zach Wilson that he purposely huh. dropped that ball. I'm like, there, you don't just purposely drop that ball. But it was a funny little jab conspiracy to put out there. Um, but no, it, it's the Niners for sure. The Niners actually being able to do what they did with the Jimmy G injury consideration. Yeah, for sure. The result that was surprising and enjoyable all at the same time, Josh. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get into the jet scheme. I think that'll probably be third on our list. Cause we obviously want to enjoy the fact that the chiefs lost too, but let's start with the dolphins and Niners game, because I feel like if you're a dolphins fan, or if you're somebody that's rooting for the dolphins for whatever reason, you're really going to be kicking yourself for what happened here, particularly when you look at the fact that the Chiefs did lose because as excited as Bills fans are about the Chiefs losing and losing control of the one seed, the Dolphins were in the same boat as the Bills had they held on and won, and they lost. So that's an opportunity that's gone by. And when you look at a situation where the starting quarterback is out in the first quarter and Brock Purdy, who is Mr. Irrelevant, which if you're not familiar, means you were the last player picked in the entire NFL draft comes onto the field. That's a game you have to find a way to win. I will tell you, I wasn't, it wasn't a situation where I just said, there's no chance the Niners can win this game when he came on the field. And it had nothing to do with Brock Purdy. I already admitted the fact that I had no idea who he was when he came on the field, but I just knew they have a laundry list of skill position players and Skill position players like Debo Samuel, George Kittle, and Christian McCaffrey, who are ideal for nurturing a young quarterback because you can throw a two-yard pass to Debo Samuel or Christian McCaffrey, and they will take care of the rest. A tight end is a young quarterback's best friend, and you have Kyle Shanahan calling plays. So you felt like they were still going to at least be functional on offense, and that's exactly what they were. There was nothing flashy, but Brock Purdy went 25 of 37, um, 210 yards, two touchdowns. He did have the one interception, but he kept the offense on track. And on the other side, Tua, now look, I, I don't want to like be unfair to Tua. He's had a fantastic season. He had a tough day today, and he was under a lot of pressure, and the offensive line is a little bit in shambles right now, and, and that's not the ideal defensive line in San Francisco to go against with guys like Bosa and Armstead. Tua was under duress a lot of the day. I think you saw some of him, his limitations when it comes to creating plays off schedule. Um, he had three turnovers in total, two interceptions, 
and then one fumble. And then Luca, you said that he actually popped up on the injury report late in the game. I missed that part. Yeah, I believe late I saw on Twitter that Tua was, I don't know if this is why they brought in Skylar Thompson. The game was pretty much lost at that point. Mm -hmm. Anyways, you could have seen where they benched him just for the safety of his of himself. At that point in time, you're not going to get anything out of this. You would need a 16 point comeback in two and a half minutes or whatever it was. Um, but yeah, I believe it popped up that he had a foot or ankle injury. I can't remember exactly what it was. I'm sure at this point, when anyone is listening here, you will have heard this as well. But yeah, it came out either at the end of the game or just shortly after it that Tua was dealing with an, a foot or ankle injury. Um, all I will say to that is I don't think I really saw anything that stood out to me as this is clearly affecting him. Uh, maybe something did happen. It's just a little bit of a pain tolerance thing. And once the game is out of hand, there's no reason to kind of get it involved or maybe even make it worse. I'm not going to speculate or whatever, you know, I'm not going to shine light on something that I'm not too familiar with or too, you know, I don't know too much in depth about, but overall, yeah, something's there, I guess a little bit. We'll monitor that and everything of that nature uh, with Tua. So that's just something we're going to have to keep our eyes on going forward. So the Dolphins fall to the Niners 33 to 17. And at almost the exact same time on the other side of the country, the Cincinnati Bengals were wrapping up a 27 to 24 victory over the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, Luca, there was a sequence in this game at the end of the game where the, the Chiefs were down by three and they had a fourth and five. And they elected to go with a Harrison Butker field 55 yard field goal. I will tell you, and I'm not using this as hindsight because one, we both agree Harrison Butker is almost automatic when it comes to kicking. He certainly has the leg for that kind of kick. But in that situation, I, as somebody who was rooting very hard for the Bengals in this game was thrilled that Andy Reid sent his field goal unit out there because it was kind of like the end of the lions game for the bills. Only the Bengals had much more time to work with than what the Bills had getting the ball back. You, you're in a situation where if they leave Patrick Mahomes on the field, then the Chiefs have a chance to get the first down, drain more clock, and then either tie it up with a field goal later in the game or obviously go in and score a touchdown, which their offense is capable of doing and get the win. By kicking the 55-yard field goal, which is not a high-percentage field goal, it's either door number one, you make the field goal and you kick the ball to Cincinnati and they have, I want to say like three or four minutes to work with, which is plenty of time to get down and get in field goal range and win the game on their own. Or B, you miss the high percentage field goal and you're still losing and Cincinnati has the ball. I thought it was a bad play by the Chiefs. What did you think about the decision to send Bunker out there to try to tie it up? I'm. I, I kind of disagree with you a little bit here. I thought based on the situation and everything going on, I also want to say, and I'm trying to look at look this up live right now because I want to get this exactly right, but I believe the down and distance that they would have had to have converted there. Now for the Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City offense, I feel like basically anything out of, you know, if you're inside 15 yards, this offense can pick that up. It was but a fourth and five. Fourth and five. So yeah. I remember just thinking Bucker's got a leg. You can absolutely trust in this and that would get you back to a tie game. Yes. It's a lot of time for burrow, but at least you're just kind of putting a little bit of pressure back on the Cincinnati Bengals to do something in this game, whether it's get down and get a field goal of their own, whatever it may be. There's at least some sort of pressure there. If you kind of go for it and fail, you're giving the ball back where they can run it out. Obviously they miss it. And it's the same circumstance. So it's interesting to pull the ball out of Mahomes' hand. I guess this is a circumstance in this particular moment where I didn't disagree with either result. However you wanted to handle it, I can understand it. The way the game was flowing and going, it didn't. you didn't really know where it was headed. So you just wanted, if Andy Reid's mentality was, we want to get it back to a tie game because there's enough time where we really could just get a stop and get the ball back in a tie game as long as we could do that because – all of a sudden the Bengals offense was, it was still doing fine, but it wasn't as explosive as it seemed like in the first half. I, I don't know it. 
I don't want to hate on the decision as much as I feel like others would. And, and this is weird because I'm normally a very aggressive mindset kind of person. And I want to go for it and things of that nature. If the bills were in that circumstance, I think I would want to see them go for it more than kick the field goal, but I'm not going to sit here and disagree with it. And I feel like if I put, if I put the bills in that situation at that exact moment in time, I wouldn't be overly upset with the field goal opportunity if Harrison Bucker was my kicker, I don't, I don't think it's much difference between him and Bass, but also it's just, however you want to go about this. I think it's the fine decision. I don't think there's a right and wrong here. It's, it's whatever you're comfortable with in the moment, how you feel you want to go about it going forward. It is what it is. Um, unfortunately for Kansas city and what it seems like is going to be a theme all night. And fortunately for us, Bucker misses that kick and it makes it much easier for the Bengals where just a couple moves of the sticks and the game is over, luckily for them. So, look, you're taking the ball out of Mahomes' hands. That's probably never a great idea. But ultimately, fourth and five is no gimme. Like, you you might have some plays going there. The other thing I'll say is this. Travis Kelsey was completely taken out of this game, it seemed like. It, I don't even have to say it seemed like. He really was. Mm-hmm. I believe he finished the day with two catches. I want to say maybe three. And, you know, one of them he had stripped away from him. And Cincinnati did a phenomenal job taking away that number one receiving weapon and forcing them to find answers elsewhere. If Kelsey was having a good day, Josh, I think that would probably tip the scale more towards going for it because at least Mahomes knows he has a comfortable safety blanket there that is working in Travis Kelsey. Whereas today that was not happening. So I wonder if that factored into it just a little bit, kind of an idea I had pop up here. I thought about it afterwards. Now, as you present this question to me, I wonder if the, the lack of production coming from Kelsey factored into, well, it's kind of a crapshoot elsewhere. Like, are you really going to trust MVS to catch a seven yard out route? You know, are you really going to trust any of these other guys? I think was Juju ever back after taking that big hit, Josh, that's the one thing I'm trying to even think of. Cause he would be the other guy I would think maybe they go to. I and think it- he did come back in. Um, cause he had a stat line of three for 35. And for whatever reason, my memory had him being more involved in that. Uh, Kelsey ended up with four for 56, but it was a tough day for Kelsey. He did have the fumble that ultimately really cost the chiefs the game. And I'm thinking that he got a lot of that late in the game because I had the same impression you did watching the game that Kelsey was just not involved. It was obvious the Bengals were doing everything they could to take him away. And the leading receiver, as far as yardage goes for the chiefs was Marquez Valdez Scantling, two receptions for 71 yards. And they relied a lot on the running game with Isaiah Pacheco. 14 for 66. So it's interesting because the AFC now is set up to where the bills are in control of their own destiny, but we all know that they have not hit the finish line yet. There's still a lot of season left. The bills actually have to go to the same building and play the same opponent that the chiefs lost to today to lose their grasp on the number one seed, the Bengals. And we can obviously get to that game down the line, but Luca looking at the games today, has your opinion, and let's just focus on the AFC East teams right now. We we saw what the Bills did to the Patriots on Thursday. It seemed like they just kind of pushed little brother to the side at that point. Uh, the Jets lost a close one in Minnesota. The Dolphins, there's really no better way to say it. They kind of choked a game away against the Niners when you had a situation where the starting quarterback was out. Has your opinion about any of the three AFC East teams changed after today's results? Uh, no. It it really hasn't. I think the Dolphins maybe I think lesser of slightly, I guess, just because Tua did have that off day with the offense. Part of me does kind of factor in the thing of this was master versus protege, right? And if there's anyone in this league that has a great idea of what the Dolphins are trying to do offensively, it's probably the individual who taught that man a lot of those tricks. And so I will give a little bit of a a buy, a pass somewhat to Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins that Kyle Shanahan, I am sure, has shown a lot of what he tries to do offensively. And therefore, it's not a huge surprise to me that a close game in the first half all of a sudden found its way separating in the second half, right? 
they finally got to look, you know, look at the all overheads, the all 22s of the first half. And they're like, okay, he's trying to do this. He's trying to do that. Whatever's going on. Of course, the Dolphins also did have Waddle who was hurt and basically out for the entire first half and then never really seemed to be. He was back in the second half, but he got one catch there and he wasn't really doing a whole lot. And then I'm sure the injury factor was there. Um, so I'll give them a little bit of a leeway there, but still ultimately it was a bad loss for them. And yeah, it's the AFC East is still in order to me now. Oh, actually it's not still, <laughs> I have to give the respect to the jets. I guess I didn't think that the Patriots were much better going into this week than the jets, but I still just valued bill Belichick and, uh, you know, I thought I gave them a little too much respect. After this week, I think it's finally that time where even I can go, look, the Jets probably are a slightly better team than the Patriots. They definitely are a better team skill-wise, but even the Bill Belichick factor can't push the Patriots over the Jets, even with the Patriots beating the Jets twice this year, Josh. I think it does go, you know, after Bills, of course, it is Miami, now Jets and Patriots. But again, Patriots and Jets have a gap that then go to Miami and then to us. So ultimately, in the big picture of things, not really. I don't think much changes overall to me in the AFC East. I think the result, uh, the result of the Jets losing in Minnesota, not ultimately too surprising. And then Miami just let one slip away that they probably shouldn't have against a you know seventh round pick, as we've talked about, and so on and so forth. And the Bills showed why the Patriots have a lot of deficiencies that they need to work through uh, this past Thursday. So ultimately, that's the division, and that's kind of how it is, and that's probably where it's going to be moving forward. I came away, I think, a little more impressed with the Jets than I expected to be. And I know that might sound weird because the Jets do have a win over the Bills. But to me, that game was always kind of a, if they played the Jets 10 times, the Bills are going to win eight, and they just happen to have one of those Sundays that fell on the two sides the Jets would win. But for the Jets to be down fairly big in Minnesota today, battle their way back. I don't love Mike White, but I love the fact that he lets the playmakers on the team give a get a shot to make plays on the ball. In a lot of ways, he kind of reminds me of Ryan Fitzpatrick, where the players in the huddle clearly like him. And that's big right now because they clearly are losing belief, belief in Zach Wilson. And he puts the ball in harm's way, but it also, in the same respect as Fitz, gives his players like Garrett Wilson, who is just an absolute stud, um, Elijah Moore, who's decent, Corey Davis, who's having a very nice season when he's been healthy, Tyler Conklin, who's been an emerging tight end for them, gives them a chance to make some plays. And I think the Jets are going to be a tough out, even for the Bills next week in Orchard Park, particularly if Deion Dawkins is not back from his high ankle sprain next week. That game could be a little bit challenging. I don't think Mike White is yet equipped to come to Buffalo and beat Josh Allen and the Bills, particularly on long rest. But I do think the Jets are going to be tougher than I thought. And I, I wasn't prepared to feel that way even after a loss today to Minnesota. I thought Miami came unraveled a little bit today. And you've been saying all along with Mike McDaniel, I'll give you credit for this, as people have been throwing roses at him and saying, you know, he he looks like the next great young coach in the league and look what he's done for Tua. You've been saying on this podcast, like I, there's just something that I haven't seen from him yet. And I don't know if it's, he hasn't necessarily hit adversity. I know he hit adversity with Tua's concussion, but every game Tua has started and finished, the Dolphins had won. So when you lose a game with backup quarterbacks as a coach, you can kind of be like, well, my backup quarterback was playing. Today, they hit adversity. Today, they got punched in the mouth by a team that had their third string quarterback out there, seventh round pick out there. And there was a sequence where the Dolphins were driving down. It may have been one of their last drives where it felt like they had a chance to win the game. And on fourth down, Tua throws a pass to Mike Jacecki. And it looks like Jacecki catches it. But as he's going to the ground, he clearly, the ball hits the ground. It was clear as day an incomplete pass. Now, I understand why as a Dolphins fan, you're trying to find any angle that looks like it's not. But if you just are honest with yourself, it's an incomplete pass. And they go to review it. And the refs obviously rule it as incomplete. And McDaniel just loses his shit on the referee. And I'm just thinking, if you're seeing that replay as a coach, you have to get yourself in the mindset of this is not going to go our way. I need to get my team refocused. 
And when a coach starts losing his shit and screaming, that can get the the wheels off of a team quickly because they're like, oh, shit, our coach is freaking out. Maybe we should start freaking out. So I saw I don't want to say like he got exposed today. It was one game. But I do think some of the questions you had about his short resume, how is he going to respond to adversity? I, I think he failed the test in some regard today. It was just one test. He's going to have many more in the future. But today was not a good look for him. I am so happy you brought that exact specific example up. Um, when I saw that, that's exactly where my head went. I went, this is exactly what I was thinking potentially Mike McDaniel will have issues with. This is something that I thought he would struggle with. And maybe we haven't seen how he would handle that kind of situation. As you put it, clear as day. That is not a catch. Plain and simple. Even with your obvious biases of a team of which you are coaching, you need that to go the other way. You need to recognize what the reality is. And then as you put it perfectly, you need to get in a good mindset and get your team focused and ready for what is about to come because the reality is that is not a catch. Everything's about to change from there and you need to know what's going on to keep your team focused and in the game moving forward from there. And instead he found himself in a crazy headspace, whatever you want to call it. And was like, he had one where he's doing the crazy eye staring at an official and mm -hmm. then he's kind of backing off and then he's turning snapping his head around, looking at him again. His, his face is red as could be. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? I, every player might be different. Maybe they have players that like to see that me personally, uh, if I were to put myself in that circumstance, I would just be like, are you kidding? Like, is this a joke? Or do you, what do you think you're trying to achieve out of this? Like I can see what I saw up there and they, they're even pointing up going like, what are you looking at? It's like, everyone sees it. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand what you're looking at or what you're <laughs> trying to achieve from this. Like it's clear as day. Like I would love to know what Gasecki felt about it because I'm sure Gasecki looks at that and goes, that's not a catch. There was a shot of him talking to a Niners player and you know, I'm not a lip reader, but it looked like he was kind of even laughing and agreeing like, oh man, I didn't catch it. Yeah. Like, I, it, I don't know, man, but regardless, that's a moment right there that I circle highlight, do whatever I can and, and go, this is exactly what I thought people of Mike McDaniel love need to worry about. They need to understand that. He hasn't dealt with adversity yet of that kind of nature in a heated moment where, of course, you can imagine he cared about that game a lot. I am sure like that was a big, important game to him. I'm sure he was thinking about it for weeks. I guarantee that since they played Houston last week, even going into the Houston game, there was one eye on this one. Like I, I refuse to believe anything else. This is a massive game for him. He's going back to San Fran. He wants to show his master, as I've pointed out before, in Kyle Shanahan, that he's he's a legit and he, he deserves to be there. And he wants to show the rest of the league that. And instead, things aren't going his way. The game plan is going to crap. And all of a sudden, this just piled on top of it where that's the moment that really got the game out of hand from there on out. And in, instead of trying to show you're focused and maybe there's something you can do about it, you just lose your cool. And to me, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all about this with Mike McDaniel. This is something that I felt like this cool guy, different guy, press conference thing, you know, it, not to pigeonhole it or anything like that, but like I've, you see other guys in the walks of life as you go on and people like that generally have that kind of attitude where sometimes their focus isn't right or just they're not someone that can kind of back away from a situation and just kind of be more neutral about it. And instead he just got fired up and he's not leading his men. He's just has his own prerogatives and his own mindset about something. And when it's not going his way, it's not about what his job is anymore. It's about how he feels about what's going on. And you can't do that as an NFL head coach. That's something that Sean McDermott does extremely well. And we talk about, we have talked about at length in the past. He's a great leader of men and understands his role and job and what he needs to do with the team that he is in charge of. I don't see those kinds of qualities yet in Mike McDaniel. And I, after a moment like that, if you're a Dolphins fan, I would be somewhat nervous. Like it's one example. Things can change. People can learn from their mistakes. I believe that wholeheartedly. If you don't believe in that, 
I mean, you don't believe anyone can change and whatever you're a cynic or whatever. Um, people can change and learn from their mistakes. He, maybe he can, but right now he's kind of fitting the mold that I thought he was and the concerns I had about him. And this is a big moment for him and that dolphins team. Now with important games down the stretch, you just lost the division uh, hold, I guess you can call it. And now what are you going to do about it? Because you can lose a team in a locker room very, very quick if you don't have it the focus at hand and just get your guys back and going. They have the Chargers, I believe it is next week. And then, of course, we all know they play the Bills with basically, you can call it win and yeah, for all of intensive purposes, they probably win the division based on tiebreaker situation on top of record situation. So massive two games for the Dolphins and yeah, McDaniel's got to get his stuff straight because that was not a good look on the sideline this game. Yeah, they're in a tough spot. They got to stay out west this week. I think they're 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 just going to stay in California because they are going to LA to play the Chargers next week, and they're going to make the playoffs. There's there's just unfortunately or fortunately from a Dolphins standpoint, there's not enough good teams in the AFC right now to keep them out of the playoffs. But they are sitting now. They started today in the two two seed. Had they won today, they'd be the one seed with their excuse me, with their loss, they'd be a, they're the sixth seed right now on the road next week, playing against the chargers, dealing with whatever injury two is dealing with dealing with whatever injury, potentially Jalen Waddles dealing with dealing with circumstances that they haven't felt yet, which is Mike McDaniel and Tua losing a football game together. We'll see how they rebound because they're playing right now, back-to-back weeks after this loss against the Niners, back-to-back AFC teams that are both sitting with playoff spots. The Chargers are going to be desperate after the loss against the Raiders today. And then we know that the Bills are going to be out for blood after what happened week three in Miami. So we'll see what happens with those Dolphins. Next up for the Bills is the New York Jets. We talked about them a little bit. Next week's game is going to be interesting. Luca and I are obviously going to be previewing the whole game on Built-In Buffalo Live. I guess where I want to go next with this conversation, Luca, let's talk about the Chiefs. And I know we we talked about their loss to the Bengals, but to me, if I needed one game to go our way today, the, the Chiefs losing was the biggest one. Because even if the Dolphins had beaten the Niners, the Bills could still correct that by beating the Dolphins in two weeks. If the Jets had beat the Vikings, the the Jets would still be behind the Bills. The Bills play the Jets next week. What the Chiefs' loss means is the Bills now control their own destiny. That was the only game that if the Chiefs won, the Bills still would not control their own destiny. And we've been talking about this for, I mean, since the offseason, since last January. What can the Bills do to avoid going to Arrowhead in the playoffs. And it starts with beating the Chiefs in the regular season, having that tiebreaker. And that tiebreaker is the reason why the Bills are the one seed right now, because both teams have identical records at nine and three. When you look at the Chiefs' remainder of the season schedule, it is not a very difficult one. The Bills do still have games against the Jets, the Dolphins. They have to go to Cincinnati. So, The Bills are still going to have to be very buttoned up because any loss that's matched with a Chiefs win puts the Chiefs right back in that one seed. So I'm confident, Luca. I wouldn't say I'm sitting here cocky about it, but it feels good having the Bills gone through everything they've gone through to instead of watching their season spiral out of control like last year where it's like now we're going to be a three seed. They've weathered the storm. And they're right back to where they were when they left the field at Arrowhead earlier this season. And for me, that just feels like such a big shift from where we thought this season was going several weeks ago. Yeah, great way to finish that point right there. This is a great way to feel compared to how we were sitting here, say, a month ago now. And it's it's an interesting time in the season now where this is kind of, as you pointed out as well, similar to last year, it, contrasting to last year, it could spiral a little bit out of control. It doesn't get too crazy there, but all of a sudden you're going from competing for the one seed to holding on to a three seed due to uh, a loss in Tampa and overtime or, you know, 
the Jags game that just didn't go our way, things like that. Well, all of a sudden, they were able to get through that stretch clean, essentially, now. And when I say that stretch, I'm talking about the Browns game, the Lions game, and now the Patriots game, where that was kind of a defining time for this with a lot going on that you could somewhat understand some things could go not your way, and all of a sudden we're having a completely different conversation, like it kind of felt similar to last season. No. They were able to get through that. Now they kind of have that mini buy, and we can kind of go into this Jets game with this hopefully normal feeling week, and we're sitting right back where we were, as you point out as well. And it feels great at this point in the season now where you can get back on the tracks and you can move forward in a position that you hope to be in on this day as we're recording right now, Sunday, December 4th, as anyone is listening to us on Monday, December 5th or later in this week. And it feels great because you want to get on the track. You want to try to move forward and get that momentum going again. And it seems like the bills are doing that right at the best time possible. When these key games are coming up, now you're back in a position you need to be, and you can really start to assert your position position in the conference at this point in time as you seem to be figuring it back out perfect and then that beautiful little addition that allowed this to be possible was watching the chiefs not be unbeatable seemingly still and a foe to them the Bengals that seem to always have their number still have their number And let's not forget, if it wasn't for a certain number of seconds, the Bills could potentially also have had three straight wins now against that same team. So there's a lot of little things there that the Bills could really hang their hat on and love at this point in time and really build on and continue to grow as the season gets to its end and hopefully maintain the position that they have in this conference and get the thing done that we hoped for them to do and that is to be in that top position and to make sure that we do not have to go back to arrowhead because ultimately just you know football fan perspective josh it would be fun to finally watch mahomes not play a playoff game in arrowhead Mm -hmm. boy would that be nice we no one no one knows what that is because he's never had to do that so um for our sakes as bills fans but just as football fans what can Mahomes do if he doesn't have that lovely comfort that is Arrowhead in his home base, basically? And now all of a sudden, the playoffs do go through Orchard Park. It does come through Buffalo, and he has to go through Josh Allen and his comfort place to continue his dominance in this league. And I love everything about that as a Bills fan. I love everything that that could present him. And look, there's probably more twists and turns to this season. That's yeah. the reality of it. So we don't know what's going to happen, but the fact of the matter is this, that doesn't just apply to the bills that applies to the chiefs that applies to the Bengals, that applies to everyone else. The season's not over yet. And there's still probably things that you have no idea are coming. So to be sitting here in December now in that top spot again, when it seemed like maybe that not might not be possible anymore feels damn good. You mentioned we, there's probably more twists and turns. If the Chiefs win out, the Bills will have to win out to get the one seed. The Chiefs' remaining schedule is they have the Broncos twice. They play them next week in Denver. Then they go to Houston. Then they come home and play the Seahawks. Then they have their second matchup against the Broncos week 17. And they finish out the year in Vegas against the Raiders. Now, look, obviously the Chiefs are going to be favored in all of those games barring something unforeseen or a major injury to somebody like Patrick Mahomes, which, you know, even as Bills fans, we don't want to see that happen. But Luca, looking at that schedule, I would have thought had the Chiefs won today that at Denver was one of those games that could sneak up on them. And you've been saying to me off the air that the Chiefs are the kind of team that they're not necessarily going to lose the game that, oh, this team can go toe-to-toe with them. They're more going to lose a game like the Colts game they lost earlier in the year where maybe they're sleepwalking into a game and a team catches them off guard and they beat them. The Broncos, to me, were always a good candidate for that because I think the Broncos' defense is just absolutely excellent. And I think the Broncos' defense has the ability to frustrate the Chiefs' offense. And then you just have to hope 
pray, whatever you believe in, that it's a game where Russell Wilson can can find a way to put up 20 points today, which uh, today was a disaster. They should have given the Ravens a loss. Lamar Jackson got hurt, and Russell Wilson managed to put up, I believe it was nine points, or was it six points? I don't even know. It doesn't matter. It was pathetic. And I I don't know. I'm not going to predict the Chiefs lose any of these games, but I don't know if I'm ready to sit here and say they run the table. Is there one game that you're looking at there that you're like, hey, that one can help us? Or are you in the mindset of just win out, Bills? There's five games to go. Everything you want is in front of you. Just win out. First and foremost, I'm always, Bills, just win out, please. Carry this momentum. You got the three in the bag now. If you win out, that's uh, one, two, three, four, five more. You have an eight-game win streak going into the postseason. And, like, you would love to be a hot team once you get into those games. It would be weird to get hot and then all of a sudden have that bye. But, boy, it would be nice to have that bye. And you know you're already at a home divisional game going into super wild card weekend. But uh, what I will say is I'm still banging that tiny little drum of mine where Denver could sneak up on them so badly. This So I was watching the Broncos-Ravens game, Josh, today. And it's... <laughs> I feel like that defensive tackle last week for the Broncos where I was just screaming for Russell to just do something, anything, (laughs) anything. I am so far done with Russell Wilson as an NFL quarterback. I swear to God, he just does not. I look, I don't know if it's, you know, how much blame is Nathaniel Hackett too, but if that offense can just do something this defense is going to waste and it's incredible they might have the greatest defensive numbers in the history of this league for a team that finishes with less than seven wins like this is incredible what they do i mean they are just time in time out just locking down teams holding them to such low numbers and yet their offense is just so historically bad and so low scoring that they cannot turn them into wins. It is still mind-blowing. And this was yet another week where if this offense could have put at least 18 points on the board in regulation, they would have had a win. And it's just now they are at, I believe, only two games they would have lost in that scenario that if the offense could put 18 points in regulation on the board, they would win. So they would currently be sitting there right now at 10 and two if this offense could do anything like imagine having a team that can't average 18 points a game. I cannot even imagine in 2022. Yeah, 2022. Like, God bless Broncos fans. I don't know how you're doing this right now, but that has to be infuriating knowing the doom and gloom that is your future with this team. But, but pulling it back to this conversation, the Broncos are still that game that I think could catch the Chiefs just because they might be surprised at how good this defense is. And one of the things that I think a lot of people were looking at with the Broncos defense, and this is kind of where I want to add down to this, is a lot of people were like, well, you know, no one tests them with, no one needs to do anything with them on the, in the run game. And that's why their, you know, run defense is getting the credit it is. And I'm like, look, you, you can't pass it on them. So their run defense is the only thing you can try to, you know, attack. And they're still holding their own there. I think last I checked, they're 11th against the run in yards per carry and stuff. And other people have told me, well, it's, well, the game's already over. You just run on them and they're just, you know, teams aren't even trying to throw the best at them. The Ravens were this entire game. And and one of the best running teams for the past five years would barely could do something. And it took great plays in the air and just scramble mode Huntley and all this crazy stuff to happen to get that win for them. So I don't want to hear anything about it. This defense is very, very good and can give this Kansas City Chiefs team a problem. And the thing on top of it all, Josh, is the Broncos defense just had their number one corner manning up and guarding the tight end for the Ravens. It was always Sertan on Andrews. I would imagine they're going to do the Mm -hmm. exact same thing next week, and it's going to be Sertan on Kelsey. And he did a pretty dang good job. I didn't see what Mark Andrews' final stat line is, but I don't remember him being much a factor. And if 
if the Ravens only had 10 total points, I can't imagine anyone was a massive factor in that game. So yeah, this that's the one that I really think could kind of put a nice stamp on the chiefs, whether look, whether it's next week in Denver, you would think that's probably the one more so that they have a chance, but Hey, you never know in a couple of weeks down the road from that they're in arrowhead, maybe the chiefs, I don't know take it a little too lightly. We saw like the Titans game where they had a quarterback that essentially couldn't throw it downfield and it got to overtime. So anything's possible, man. This is, this is the national football league. Anything is possible. Any team can lose any given day and you cannot sleep on anyone, especially a team like the Broncos who have a very good defense. So I'm going to beat that drum until those games are over, Josh. I am going to beat that drum until they're over. And if one slips up on the Chiefs, boy, am I going to feel great. I am going to feel fan-blank-tastic. I got one for you. Bills fans, a team you should be rooting for every week is the Raiders. The Raiders have a very winnable schedule, particularly when, when they play the 49ers in four weeks without a starting quarterback. They have Brock Purdy. If the Raiders can win every game they have up until week 17, which looking at their schedule, it's Patriots, Steelers. Um, I, I just had it up. Let me see here real quick. Patriots. Oh, Rams. The Rams have thrown in the towel in the season. Rams, Patriots, Steelers, and then 49ers. They can win all four of those. The Raiders will have everything to play for week 17 when they host the Chiefs. I'm just saying they were within an eyelash of beating the Chiefs in Arrowhead. So we'd like to see the Raiders motivated that week. Another shot. So I think it's going to end up coming down to, well, one, the Bills have to take care of business these next two weeks against the Dolphins and the Jets. I don't think either one of those games are going to be easy. I'm still nervous about the Dolphins game, although I think there's a chance they start to unravel, especially if they lose to the Chargers next week. I think it's very possible that everything that the Bills have been building toward and everything that the Bills have been building this team to get to comes down to a Monday night football game in Cincinnati against the Bengals, who did the Bills a solid today. It's funny. Historically, the Bengals, these last few years under McDermott, have been the Bills' best friend. They helped the Bills break the playoff drought by beating the Ravens week 17 to get the Bills in at 9-7 and seven in 2017. Last season, after the Bills had the heartbreak of 13 seconds, everybody was rooting against the Chiefs at that point, and Bills land, and the Bengals went in there and took care of the Chiefs did them a solid today. They beat the chiefs, put the bills back up in first place, but now the bills are going to have to find a way to beat those Bengals in Cincinnati to hold serve. Next up for the bills is a home game against the New York jets. Luca and I will be back on Friday to preview that. And Luca, I think the big story this week as the bills get back to having a normal Sunday game week is really going to be tracking the progress of Deion Dawkins. We saw what life looked like without him in the lineup last week, albeit against Matthew Judon. Not every, not every team has that. Um, Deion Dawkins coming back and practicing and getting ready for this Jets game, I think, is a number one thing to keep an eye on this week. Would you agree? For sure. In, in a weird way, though, I want to kind of bring this up and kind of make this feel better, even though it's not a great conversation to have. It's fun to have a conversation like this now where only Dawkins really seems to be the one we need to monitor. It seems like this season has been the one where we're monitoring Milano status and or Edmonds status and Poyer status. And of course, there was obviously the Trey White status updates and just so many different players in and out revolving door on the injury report. And it just was frustrating at times trying to keep track. Okay. Who's a legitimate questionable uh, who is looking good and positive towards the weekend, who is looking doubtful. And we're just trying to hold our hopes that come Saturday, they felt great. And all of a sudden the injury magically disappeared. Even Josh Allen had his injury scare this season. Hopefully the only one he will have this season. And the fact that we are now going into a crucial game on a Sunday at one o'clock, which just feels like that beautiful, comfortable, normal situation for this team and the one player we're looking at is as you brought it up Deion Dawkins it's kind of a nice feeling in a weird way it's a big piece to hopefully come back but 
he looked to be in good spirits uh, this past weekend at a Bandits game. Mm-hmm. I don't know what his injury situation is, and I'm sure he's able to go and just sit there to enjoy a Bandits game. But he was there. He looked in good spirits. Uh, it was probably tough at times to be in good spirits because I can tell you personally, I was not for the majority <laughs> part of that game. But what I will say is that's the one. That's the only one. Everyone else, we kind of know where they stand. I mean, there's Kair Elam status. He was a healthy scratch last week. Now what is going to happen with his situation, of course, too. But that's not an injury situation, it seems like. It seems to be more something else going on. So whatever that is, we will also monitor that. But the big question mark just comes down to Deion Dawkins. And the great part is, as you also brought up, we're not dealing with the leading sack getter in this league come the Jets game. It is not Judon going to be back over there against our left tackle. It's just going to be, I don't even know who their right end is, but regardless. I think it's Carl Lawson. Okay, Carl Lawson, still a good guy, but Mm -hmm. it's not Matt Judon. Judon. So, (laughs) yeah. So, ultimately, just to put a positive spin on this note here, it will be nice to only be watching Dawkins, but that's the big one, of course. As you brought it up, we need to keep a track on that and see what happens come Sunday against the Jets. The Bills will be back on back on the practice field on Wednesday. Sean McDermott will meet the media on Monday to just kind of kick off the week, and then he'll speak again on Wednesday. We should get an update on Deion Dawkins, hopefully Monday, but I'm assuming McDermott will use the he's day-to-day, we'll see how the week goes, and then come Wednesday we'll find out if he's actually practicing, and then we'll get ready for the Jets. And I'm assuming, Luca, by the next time we're on the air on Built in Buffalo Live, we will know what team. Odell Beckham Jr. plays for. Ooh, nice little teaser there at the end. Yeah, we will see, or maybe you and someone else, wink, wink, that isn't me, we'll see on Built in Buffalo Live what that situation is. Nice little teaser of my own there, Love people. It. Check us out on YouTube, by the way. Josh said you can listen to our previous episode on podcast channel. You can also go to the Built in Buffalo YouTube channel to watch any of our Built in Buffalo Live episodes that were previously aired and will air moving forward. Go ahead and subscribe there as well. Just try to get all these aimless plugs on this mini episode here. Josh, mm-hmm. just hit like and subscribe, like and subscribe, whatever you want to do, you know, all that fun jazz. But yeah, um, fun week. It was kind of a nice, fun little episode here, Josh. And yeah, uh, yeah this was good. This was I good. gotta get us out of here, Luca, because if it goes over an hour, we're no longer gonna be able to call it a mini episode. I feel <laughs> like why well, I will have failed us as the uh as the person who tries to be the point guard on this thing. So For Luca, I am Josh. We will be back on Friday with Built in Buffalo Live. Um, We will be previewing the Jets and all action coming up in the National Football League. And then Bill's chat will be back next Monday with a New York Jets postgame show. And obviously on one of those two episodes, we'll have an update on Odell Beckham. So we will talk to you next week on Bill's chat. Mm -hmm.